Acts chapter 20, I want to read uh, a quirky little story. We're going to just park here today. You can just keep your Bible open at Acts 20. But we're going to read a quirky little story that, uh, frankly, my whole life I've just kind of passed over and thought, huh, funny. Uh, uh, but God has really encouraged me this week with this message. And sometimes, you know, how many of you know that God is always good all the time? All the time God is good. Uh, and how he chooses to show his goodness to us, sometimes the Bible says, like the psalmist says, he makes us lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he uses his rod and his staff to comfort us. Amen? Sometimes, sometimes God gives us a word that challenges us and resets us. Uh, and other times God just gives us a big squishy hug. And he leads us beside still waters. And this week I've just been feeling the envelopment of the grace of God. And I hope today that that's what you're going to feel as we come to this word. But I want to look at Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7. Uh, the Apostle Paul is on a farewell tour uh, with some of these churches that he had planted. And in Acts chapter 20, he shows up in a town called Troas. where we, we've, He's actually been there before and he's revisiting the church that he started there. And it says in verse 7... Uh, on the first day of the week, we gathered, this is Luke writing in the first person, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Some of you think I preach long. <laughs> Give me a break. It's like a five-hour message, just getting warmed up. The upstairs, uh, the upstairs room where, they, where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. So get the picture in your mind. They're in an upper room, Paul's preaching, gathered by maybe 50, maybe 100 believers. It's late in the day, it's dim, there are candles, it's almost candle lit, so you get the mood in your mind, and that's what Luke wants you to see in your mind. And then verse 9, it says, as Paul spoke on and on, come on, Luke was obviously not a preacher, uh, emphasis added, as Paul spoke on and on, uh, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. And finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death. Why are you laughing? The guy died. No, it's funny. It's kind of funny. It, it, it ends well, so we can, we can chuckle. It's a quirky story to find in the Bible. A guy falls asleep out a window and dies. And then it says this. Then they all, uh, verse 10, Paul went down and bent over him, get this picture in your mind, took him up into his arms, and he said, don't worry, he's alive. And then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. And Paul continued talking to them until dawn. That's a long sermon. I'm not going to do that to you today. Uh, and th then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. I want to look at this quirky little story, and I want to look at it as a picture of falling. What do you do when you fall? What do you do when you, for your, your own stupid fault, put yourself in a vulnerable position and find yourself flat on your back in a heap? What do you do when you fall? And I want to look at what happens. I want to look at this as a little picture of the grace of Jesus that we have access to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. For your grace, and God, we just, we just say we have a really hard time understanding grace because it's not fair, but I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you just confirm in our hearts that what your word says is true, 
and that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us, as we hear this word, and all of us have fallen short, I pray, God, that we would leave here just like Eutychus, alive, unharmed, and well, with a skip in our step, free in the grace of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Turn to two people as you sit down, tell them don't trip, and then you can sit down. You're tripping. Have you ever fallen in public and someone saw it? Yes. Ever the groan, the collective groan. We've all done that, haven't we? We've all had that moment where we're walking along and we tripped and stumbled and, and there are people around us. And here's what I know to be true. We don't know what to do with that, do we? We, we have different moves. Like sometimes if you, if you trip and you start to fall, anybody ever do this move? Like you're walking along and you start to trip and instead of going down, you start to run and pretend like I was just going to start jogging anyway at that point in my journey. Like you just do this, you're like, I'm good, I'm good, don't worry about me. I was just going to run here anyway. Or some of us, when we fall flat on our backs, we, we try to laugh it off and we be self, we're self-deprecating. And some of us, we just try to pretend like it never happened. It, it's tough when we fall and people see it, isn't it? I remember when I was two years, or not when I was two years old, sorry, about 12 years ago, my wife and I were with our in-laws, my now in-laws, just enjoying some company together. And their little girl, Emily, she was two at the time, was playing around our feet. I didn't have kids, so I didn't realize this was a thing that started that early, but I remember Emily was playing and running around the living room and she ran across and tripped on my feet and fell face just flat face down and she wasn't hurt physically but her little pride was crushed and she got up and she just buried her head in her mother she was so ashamed and humiliated that she tripped and I just remember thinking she's two who told her that that's embarrassing like she poops in her pants at this point she's got bigger fish to fry and yet She knew that sense of embarrassment that overtakes us all. Here's what I know to be true. From a young age, we all know what that feeling is like to fall flat on our face. We've done it physically, and most of us, actually all of us, unless your name is Jesus, have done it figuratively. We all know what it is to fall. We have a term that people throw around. They fell from grace. Like, there are high-profile examples. Uh, O.J. Simpson fell from grace, great sports hero, and then through, through no one's fault but his own, fell from grace. Uh, have you seen Tiger Woods lately? Did you see his photo last week? Oh, man, poor guy. Like, I just felt bad for him. Like, I had a DUI last week. The guy looked like a wreck. And again, this guy was a golf god for a number of years, and now, like, he's, like, ranked 900th in the world, and his life's falling apart. Like, I had this, this big fall from grace that we all can witness and see. Uh, just, just recently, did you, anybody see the, the picture online? I think it was last week of the woman. She had her phone out, and she was walking and texting uh, in New Jersey. Anybody see this? I, I chose not to show it because I feel like the poor girl, this is being shared all over the place, and uh, I, I feel a little bit bad that I'm even bringing it up. But she's walking along and texting and walking, and she walked right into a cellar six feet deep. Like, and there's a picture online of just her feet in the air. Going, We shouldn't laugh at this, but we do, don't we? Because we all kind of empathize and sympathize. We've all been through that. And yet, uh, what do you do when you fall? What do you do when you fall? And now I'm speaking more figuratively here. Like we, although maybe you've not been walking and texting and fallen into a hole, uh, you've probably been through a season where you were going along just fine and then something happened, a circumstance happened or maybe a bad decision happened and all of a sudden you found yourself humbled, humiliated, on your back like Eutychus. What do you do when you find yourself 
having fallen. What do you do with failure? Something I've found to be interesting as I've been thinking about this all week is, you know what the church hasn't done a great job of talking about, ironically? Uh, what we do when we fail. What do we do when we fall? Uh, the, the tradition that I grew up in, we tried to pretend like that didn't happen, and we, we, we just push it under the rug and close it in the closet, and no one's really that honest about the fact that we have struggles. And there are, are every one of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, even as believers, have struggles and temptations and trials and things that can trip us up and make us fall flat on our face, don't we? Even Paul, the apostle, it says in Romans 7, he was being very honest and very open and vulnerable. And he says, listen, who will save me from this body of flesh that, he says, I do the things that I set out not to do. I told myself I wasn't going to do that, and yet I did it, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Like, what is wrong with me? Have you ever felt that, like, kick into overdrive when you start to follow Jesus? Like it's one thing in the, real, in the world, like when you have a, a failure and someone sees it, we kind of brush that off. But when, it, when we start to follow Jesus, this whole other reality sets in where we, where we figure it wasn't just that our friends saw us fail, but God saw us fail. And here's the question I want to ask. What, what do we need to know and what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we fall? I've found in my life that sometimes even with the best intentions, we fall short. And let me just lead the way in this. Like church, we need to be honest about the fact that all of us have issues, all of us have struggles, all of us have propensities, and we need to open up and bring these things out into the open and allow the grace of God to actually have access into the hidden places in our lives. And so here's the question I want to ask today. As we look at this quirky little story, I think it's going to encourage you if you can look at it as a picture of what it looks like when we fall. And I want to look at, the, at what happened to Eutychus and what caused this death and what caused this failure. And then I want to look at the picture of what got him back on his feet. And I want to ask the question, what do you do with your failures? What do you do when you have fallen and there you are embarrassed, ashamed, broken, beat up, hurt? What do you do when you fall? So if, if, if you're willing, uh, you don't have a ton of choice, but I'm going to just walk us through. You do have a choice. You can get up and leave if you want, but I'm going to walk us through just observing this text. I don't plan to take long, but I just want to observe this text, and I think there are some things we can learn when it comes to falling and failing. Anybody, anybody, just this is for people who are going to be honest in church today. People who, who know what it is to fall, people who know what it is to fail, uh, and if you don't think that's you, you're failing already because you're committing the greatest sin, that is pride. So this is for everyone, unless your name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Son of the Most High God. The rest of us have something we can learn from this. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's read it again. And let's just dive a little, bit, a little bit deeper into some Bible study and just see what we can learn when it comes to falling. So it says this. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So they came together for the Lord's Supper. So presumably it's at supper time. The workday had ended. This would have been a Sunday in their day. Sunday was day one of the week, and that was a workday. Their Sabbath day was Saturday, Friday night, Saturday. And so they'd spent the day working, and the church comes back together to share in the Lord's Supper and community. Now, the Lord's Supper would have been what we're going to participate in later, but it also would have been a meal as well. They would have shared the common meal together as well. But it says this, Paul spoke to the people, and because he did intend to, intend to leave the next day, he kept talking. It was a long sermon. He had a lot to tell them. 
because he's about to leave and he will never return to these people he loves. And so what would you do? Would you, would you, just, would you just say something short or would you just use every moment you have to speak to them. That's what he's doing. Verse 9, it says that he was seated. Uh, sorry, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting and seated in a window. Get this picture in your mind. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell. Here, if you're taking notes, my first observation, my first thing I think we need to learn from this story is when it comes to falling, uh, falling can be avoided. Falling can be avoided. And we're going we're gonna to get into what to do when we fall. But it, it, it's, we need to look at the fact that this didn't happen for anyone's fault other than Eutychus. It was his own decision that led this scenario and this, this sequence of events to happen. He couldn't blame anyone else. It was no one else's fault. And this could have been avoided had he not sat on a windowsill. Correct? Here's what I want to press upon us as we get looking at grace. Uh, Grace also gives us the wisdom to know the fact that God gives us the power and wisdom to avoid these types of mistakes before they happen. And that it is not correct to just say, well, you know what? I'm human, I'm frail, and I'm going to sin. It's bound to happen. It's not correct to come into agreement with that type of thinking. But actually, God calls us further than that and wants to give us wisdom to learn how to grow up and assess our lives in such a way that we don't put ourselves in these compromising positions where we are prone to fall out the window. Wisdom realizes a couple things. First, it realizes that we are all vulnerable in different ways. Every one of us have different propensities and vulnerabilities. And you know what I've found in my life? We're really good at noticing each other's and not super good at noticing our own. Amen? Like we're very good. Oh, she, she really struggles in that area. <laughs> the speck in her eye and the log in yours, right? We're really good at noticing. But here's, here's what I think the word needs to teach us today is this, that you need to become aware of the fact that you have certain areas in your life where you are vulnerable and you are prone to wander, you are prone to trip and fall, and there are areas in your life where Satan himself is trying to exploit you. There are propensities that you have that Satan is, is actually targeting to try to destroy. Uh, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, it says, be alert. Be alert, be aware, awake, awake of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, grace helps us be alert. It helps us be on guard. He, Eutychus was off guard, wasn't he? He, he? he drifted, it says he drifted off to sleep. Isn't that a great picture of what happens when we, when we fall? No one wakes up one day and says, you know what, I've been faithful to my wife this whole time and I'm just going to have an affair. Do you? It doesn't happen like that. It's a gradual drifting. It was this, you started to fall, to, to drift apart together, and then you started letting your guard down, and you started entertaining pornography, and then you started engaging in, in conversations with people at work that was just a little too long. You lingered a little too long in that conversation, and you're drifting, and you're drifting, and then you have that Facebook conversation with that ex-girlfriend, and you're drifting farther and farther asleep until you just doze off, and you let your guard down, and out the window you go. 
And that's what happens when we sin. No one sets out to do it. It's our own carelessness oftentimes that actually sets us up for failure. Grace gives us wisdom to realize that we are all vulnerable to temptation, that we all are prone to sink into a sleep, to, into potential failure. And here's another thing I think we should observe here is wisdom and grace works preventatively to avoid falling. See, holiness isn't about like your track record, but it is, it does actually inform your mind in such a way to begin to set up your life so that you live in victory, not falling out the window in failure. I want to look at this and uh, I want to just maybe do an investigation. Let's, let's pretend we're CSI for a second and we are on the case and we're trying to get like a cause of death and what exactly happened here. Let's do like a post-mortem. Poor Eutychus is dead on the ground. Let's look at this story with some glasses and try to get a handle on why this went down, how this could have been avoided. Now, cause of death, dude fell. But why did he fall? Now, there's a couple of things I want you to get in mind when it comes to your life that will always be present before you. If you've, if you've sinned, I guarantee one of these three things, or if not all of them, were a factor that went into it. Uh, I have a fun little acronym because acronyms are fun. Uh, this. This was not anything short of a hit. Hit. What was, what was at work here? First, we find out this. The Bible says that they came for what? They came to have supper. So one thing that was present in this scenario is that Eutychus was hungry. I am so self-conscious of spelling on the stage. Just saying, I don't have spell check. He was hungry. Something I know to be true when it comes to our propensities, when it comes to when we fall... The enemy loves to prey upon our natural urges and inclinations. He always tempts us to alleviate an appetite with something that God was meant to satisfy with something that is not God. That's essentially at the heart of sin. We find it when Jesus was tempted. When Jesus was tempted, when, when did it, it says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was in the wilderness. Sorry, Matthew 4, Jesus was in the wilderness. And it says after 40 days, Jesus was alone. He fasted 40 days. And after 40 days, Satan came to him because he was hungry. Like we know this to be true, whether we're speaking in physical hunger or emotional hunger or cravings. Have you ever tried to get groceries hungry? What happens to your decision-making ability? Gone. Gone. Cheetos, Doritos, Lucky Charms. Just, right? Like, I need that, and I need that. That's the root of a lot of our sin in our lives. There's, there's a craving there. This is what happened with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that when they saw, it was good to eat. See, the enemy loves to prey upon our natural urges and inclinations, and they are. Here's something someone needs to hear. Being tempted is not a sin. Having an urge and a desire is not a sin. What you choose to do with it is whether it's sin or not. See, Eutychus, there was a hunger, there was hunger, a, a present. We, we see this with Esau, the story of Esau in Genesis. Esau traded his blessing for a bowl of stew. 
And that's essentially what sin is. We're trading the real thing, the blessing of God, for the counterfeit, something that can't actually satisfy. So oftentimes when you're dealing and you, and you have struggled and fallen, the first thing you need, to, you need to recognize about yourself is that you have certain hungers and appetites in your life that the enemy wants to exploit and take advantage of. Eutychus was hungry. The other thing I want to point out in this scenario is that Eutychus was isolated. He chose to sit on the windowsill. When everyone else was gathered around, maybe seated on the floor, maybe they're in chairs, maybe they're in recliners and lazy boys. I don't totally know how they were rocking in Troas. All I know is this. He chose to sit himself on the windowsill by himself. And to me, that's such an incredible picture of, of what not to do in the Christian life. Did you know that God never intended for you to do this alone? You cannot fight sin and temptation by yourself. And I will just be honest, the times where I have fallen and, and stumbled and fallen short have been times where I have refused to let someone else in my struggle. And I've refused to be honest and vulnerable with someone else to help walk it out with me and be strong and hold me accountable. Eutychus started to fall asleep and no one noticed. He was on the windowsill, and Paul talked on and on, and his eyes got heavy, and then no one noticed, and then his head probably was on the window frame, and then no one noticed, and he's drifting further and farther back, and then no one noticed until they saw his feet go out the window. And that is such a picture, and this is why so many of you struggle with sins you don't need to struggle with because you have no one in your life that you can be honest with. This is why Celebrate Recovery is such a potent ministry. This is why so many people are finding freedom is because they're coming and they're being honest about their vulnerability and saying, I struggle in this area too. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's be there for each other. Let's pray for each other and let's walk this out together because we're stronger together. A lot of the sins in our lives can be avoided if you just had someone you were honest with. Here's a question. Who in the whole world can you be brutally honest with? Who can you be vulnerable with and say, I'm struggling in this area. I'm tempted in this area. I need help. Who can you do that with? If you don't have that, you are setting yourself up for a fall. You are isolated. And this Christianity thing, this walk and this following Jesus thing was never meant to be done alone. Some of you just need to hear that today. If you have any application out of this, you need to get someone in your life that that is a brother, is a sister that you can be honest with and you can tell the whole truth. Amen? This isn't meant to be done alone. Maybe some of you should start going to Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights. It's not just for broken people. It's for all people because all people are broken people. We all need it. We all need to go. We all need that support. He's isolated. Last observation is this, and this is, this is fairly obvious. He was tired. One of these three things, if not all of them, are usually there in the, in the cause of our fall. Uh, I know this to be true. The times where I am tired are the times I am most prone to fall and fail to some type of temptation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're run down, you're depleted, you're sleepy, you're drowsy, or maybe you're physically tired. What happens? Your resolve goes out the window and your entitlement starts to go up. That's, that's when we binge watch, isn't it? That's when we binge eat, when I'm tired. Oh, I just need to unplug. I just need to give myself what I need, right? Fatigue. He was tired. We start to become entitled and self-focused. See, this was a hit. 
I, I think this will help somebody. This isn't the main point of my message, but I want just to get in mind this one fact before we get into what to do when you do fall. But here's the thing. The Bible actually challenges, challenges us to live a life of holiness, to live a life that you don't sin. You don't have to fall. And there are people who are giving the enemy power by coming into agreement with that lie that says, well, you're bound to fall anyway. If you agree with that, you're setting yourself up for failure. So that's why Paul says, fix your minds on heavenly things. Fix your mind on things above, whatever is pure, whatever is true, because God's actually calling us to live above falling, to live a life of victory. When it comes to falling, first observation is that falling can be avoided. Second observation is this. Let's keep reading. So it says in verse 9, when he was sound asleep, so he's fallen asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. That's a long drop. And he was picked up dead. So they presumably saw him fall, and the, the, the family of God, the church, they ran out after him, and they got down to the bottom of the steps, and there they are, and they picked him up, and he's dead in their arms. Like, he is gone. Here's my second observation, and it's twofold. When it comes to falling, falling kills, but Jesus saves. Here's the truth about sin, and we've got to understand this, and this is probably another area that Eutychus went wrong. He sat on a windowsill and did not properly assess the gravity of the situation. He did not take seriously that that fall would kill him. And when it comes to us sinning and it comes to us struggling, I know this to be true in my own life. You always enter into that. You always start into the process of falling by thinking this. It's not that big a deal. I can sit here. No one's going to get hurt but me. And we have this justification that it's not a big deal. But the Bible would press this truth upon you when it comes to sin, when it comes to falling, when it comes to our struggles. Sin is not about bad and good. Get it out of your mind. Sin is about life and death. Sin is about dying or living. That's what it's about. And I don't know what your Sunday school teacher taught you. I don't know what your mom taught you. Maybe they didn't teach you anything. But a lot of us get this twisted idea in our minds when it comes to following Jesus and going to church. It's about being a good person. No, it's about being you were once dead and now you're alive. That's it. It's about living. And here's the reality of sin the Bible presses on us. That sin kills you. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. That, that that's what happens. Sin leads to death. That's the problem. It's not that you're a bad person. It's that you're a dead person. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to destruction. It seemed like an okay idea at the time, didn't it? Isn't that amazing? Like how anybody who's, who, if you're just honest, you bring up to mind some area in your life that you've failed or fallen or stumbled. It always seemed like a decent idea at the time, didn't it? And then in retrospect, when you look back on it, you're like, oh, I was such an idiot. So stupid. I wish I could take that back. You know what the worst advice in the world is? Just follow your heart, man. <laughs> that is horrible advice. That's so stupid. The Bible says don't. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your inclinations. Don't trust your desires. You have to trust the word of God. You cannot just be led by your stomach. That's such a huge problem for all of us. And frankly, isn't our culture built on that? 
the feeding of your stomach. You deserve this. You need this. You need that. No, the Bible says you've got to understand that the wages of sin leads to death. That is the path of death. This is why Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate, the road that leads to life. Galatians 6, 7, Paul later wrote this, don't, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. So this is an issue of life and death. And I want to press that upon us again. I think a lot of the time the enemy has a real way. Again, we doze off. We get, we get complacent and we start to think that, oh, it's okay. And what happens though is he's tricking you and lulling you to sleep so that he can kill you. Sin has the power to kill. Okay, so we've dealt with the whole dying part. Now let's flip it and let's hear the rest of the story. Can we do that? I, I, do, I do want, this is, this is part of grace though. Before I move on, grace isn't just calling you free. Grace isn't just calling you saved. Grace isn't just calling you forgiven, but it's actually changing the wiring in your mind and changing the inclinations of your heart. It actually is making you into a new person. And part of the way we do that is by looking differently at our lives. Like Paul said in Romans 12 too, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation happens right here. We've got to think differently about sin, don't we? We've got to think differently about falling and failing. But now let's look at the rest of the story. Sin has the power to kill, but Jesus has the power to bring you to life. This is really the message that God has pressed on my heart this week. Let's, let's read the rest. It says, verse 9, uh, when he was sound asleep... He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on him. Get that picture. So Paul leaves the third story, comes down the steps, runs out, threw himself on the young man, put him in his arms, says, don't be alarmed. He's alive. And this miracle happens where he comes back to life. Now, he was as good as dead, wasn't he? I mean, the, the people already said, Luke already said he was dead, and yet Paul comes down, who's, who's the representation of God's, who's God's representation in this story. He comes down, and he picks him up and says, he's not dead, he's alive, and this is what Jesus does. Jesus calls things that were dead as though they are alive and brings them to life. I love this picture that at his word, at the word, the dead man comes to life. That's a picture of what grace is does. That's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Like even, maybe, maybe you're thinking I'm too excited about this and you're reading too deep into it, like six verses. I'm not. You think about it. What's the gospel? Well, in our story, Paul comes down. Isn't that the story of Jesus? Isn't that the gospel? The gospel is this, that uh, Philippians 2 says, for God, did not, for God did not see, Jesus did not see equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead gave up his divine privileges and humbled himself and came down. He put on human flesh and died a sinner's death, a criminal's death, even death on a cross, it says, so that we could live. That's the gospel. Love came down. Grace came down. Isn't that amazing? You think about it. Like some of you, 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 you identify far too much with falling three stories. Like you've fallen not one story, not two stories, but three stories bad. Here's the amazing news about the grace of Jesus. No matter how far you fall, grace meets you at the bottom. 
it meets you there. Like you cannot outrun it. You cannot outsin it. You cannot outfall it. Like some of you need to hear that today because you've been beating yourself up about something. You're thinking, I don't know if God can forgive me. And you're feeling shame before God and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. Hear this. If you fell off the third story, the fourth story, the fifth story, I don't care what it is. I don't care what you did. You cannot outrun it. God will pick you up and meet you when you are flat on your back on the, on the ground. That's what grace looks like. He came down. Heaven came down. I love the picture that it says Paul picked him up in his arms. Isn't that a picture of what Jesus did? I mean, Jesus even said it in the, in the story of the prodigal son. Talked about how the son that squandered the father's wealth left him and said, I don't care if you die. I don't even care about you. And then the, the son had this occurrence that, man, I've just messed everything up. And Jesus tells the story about how when the son started heading back to the father as a picture of us heading back to God, he found not that he had to go all the way back and work his way back into his father's good graces. What did he find? He found a father that was running out to him to meet him who fell on his neck and began to hug him and kiss him. He wouldn't even let him get the words out saying, I have my son back. It's a picture of reconciliation. Do you know that through the blood and grace of Jesus, you have been reconciled to God the Father? Like, like there's no separation. Like, don't worry about the three stories you fell. Grace has received you into the arms of Jesus. You. Stop arguing with me. Some of you are, I can feel it in your, in your spirit. Like, yeah, but, but what about, no. You cannot outsin it. You cannot outfall it. I don't care when it was. I don't care if it was on the way to church today. You can't outrun the grace of God. You can't outsin the grace of God. You can't outfall the grace of God. If you go deep, it goes deeper. That's what David said. Remember David in the Old Testament? I mean, talk about a guy who had a, had a midlife train wreck. I mean, he like cheated on his wife with another man's wife and tried to cover it up by murdering his buddy. Like that's a bad, bad, that's a fall, y'all. That's like a seven-story fall. And what's he say? He says, where can, I, where can I go from your presence? Even if I make my bed in hell, he says. And I'm, Psalm 139, if I make my bed in shale, you're there with me. I can't outrun it. Here, here's something I just want someone to hear. You can't fall from grace. You can't fall from grace. Galatians, Paul says this word, you fell from grace. You know what makes you fall from grace? The only way you fall from grace is when you choose to not enter into grace, but instead enter into works and say, I'm going to get back to God on my own merits. That's when you have fallen from grace. Sin has the power to kill, but Jesus has the power to bring you back to life. I, I just feel like someone needs to hear that today. Like you feel like, that's me, I'm, I'm the dead guy. I'm the guy that's just made a mess of my life. I'm in a heap on the ground. Hear the words of Jesus. Come alive. Be forgiven. Be set free. Be restored. Be put back up on your feet. Jesus can do that with his word. Isn't that amazing? Someone needs to hear that and just let that wash over them today. You can't outrun the grace of God. You can't outsin it. Let's finish it up. So it says in verse 9, When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. And Paul went down and threw himself on the young man. I love it. He went all the way down. He didn't call him up and say, Hey, pick him up and bring him back up here and I'll fix him. He went down himself, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke 
bread and ate it. Get that picture in your mind. What did they go back to? Communion. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Here is the last observation. This is what's been just, as a person who's been a believer and has been walking the walk and trying not to stumble and fall in my own life, when it comes to falling, number three, when you fall, you fall into grace. You fall into grace. What I find in my own life, and maybe it's just me, I doubt it is, but what I find when, I, when I've fallen short, when I stumble, when I'm not the husband I'm supposed to be, when I'm not the man I'm supposed to be, I'm not the pastor I'm supposed to be, what I find is, and just like my niece Emily, I find shame comes over me. I want to bury my head. I want to pay my penance and pay my dues. I talk to so many of you that that's, that's you. Every week you come in and you're like, oh, I just got to get my life back on track. I'm coming to church to try to get right with God again. You know, don't we do that? Like we think it's our job to get up and dust ourselves off and we wear the name of our failure for a while and until we feel bad and feel like we've worked it off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody honest in church? And we, we walk that and we walk with a limp and we walk broken and beat up and battered and we try to figure out how am I going to get back to where I was? I don't know how many people I've heard, even at the door, saying, hey, it was good to be at church. I'm just trying to get back to where I was. Do you know that you were never there because you were so good in the first place? Do you know that what got you to the table with Jesus in the first place wasn't a season where you went to church and you prayed so hard and you were such a super Christian? The way that you got to the table, the way that you got in good graces with Jesus had nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. Like, I love this picture because Eutychus, what's it say? They didn't miss a beat. They didn't stand there and say, dude, what's wrong with you? Come on, man, we're, 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 we're holiness people. We don't fall out windows. You need to go walk that off for a while and get yourself right with God and then come back up to the table. No, it says that they picked him up, dust him off, put him on his feet, and they went right back to the table of grace, and that's it. Isn't that an amazing picture? That somebody here needs to hear today because you think, well, I better start that long trek back up to the three stories that I fell from. I better get right with God. I better get my stuff in order. I better figure it out. That is not what this life of grace is about. It's about understanding that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. It's, it's a gift to you, and it has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. And the moment that you start to think it does is the moment that you fall from grace. The moment that you decide, I'm going to make this relationship with God about my, my works and my track record is the moment that you pull away from the table and now you're operating on your own. But the beautiful gift is this, that when you fall, when you fail, you fall straight into the grace of God. He got back up again. He broke bread. What a picture right back to grace. Like some of you, I, maybe there's someone here that you're, this is the first time you've been in church in months, maybe years, and you came here today as, a, as, a, as the beginning of a long walk back to good graces with Jesus. Here's the good news. There is a table set before you that has been paid in full by the good grace of God and that the moment that you turn to him, the moment that you call upon him, you are transported all the way up into the heavenly places 
seated before God Almighty. When God sees you, he sees a perfect, spotless track record. He doesn't see what you did yesterday. He doesn't see how you fell short the other day. He just sees his son. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Grace isn't fair. It's, it's, it's just grace. I thought it was interesting when I, when I dug into this a little deeper and I found that the name Eutychus actually translates son of fortune. Uh, another translation said like, like lucky, fortunate. Living a victorious Christian life is realizing grace is my name. Blessed. Lucky, if you want to use that word. God luck. Eutychus's name means grace. I think that's such a picture for someone because how often do we let our deeds label us? How often do we let like what we did label us? You're the addict. You're the junkie. You're the adulterer. You're the gambling addict. You're the jerk whatever your label is, but here's the incredible, incredible news this morning. I just felt this all week, like, life is a choice, and you get to choose your name, and you get to choose, my name is Eutychus. My name is Grace. Uh, This past week, I was really privileged to be able to speak and do a sermon at a funeral for a woman who by all accounts in our church, I mean, she wouldn't say it, that she's a saint or anything, but man, as I have have observed her life, uh, she just did it right. Uh, A woman named Sandra Leach went home to be with the Lord last week, and I, on Monday, got to preach at her funeral. And I've seen very few people do life like her. I mean, she was just always full of joy, she was always the first person in the lobby to, to greet you and to just come up and hug you. For me, she, was, she just spoiled me rotten. Like she just was one of my greatest encouragements in my life. She was the first person ever to say, you're someday. She said it, she said it way before it was even a thought on my mind. Someday you're going to be the lead pastor at this church. She was the one that would always come up to me, even if my sermon bombed, and she'd say, that was the best message ever. Like she just knew how to lie to me when I needed it. Like <laughs> she was awesome. Like, like. She was always, she was always like sneakily generous. She always, she was always, she always gave me money and things to give to other people. She didn't want to have any part of it. She was just like, as Christians go, as something to shoot for, like she did it right. And yet she knew something about life that I think will help you when it comes to falling. And that is this, you can choose to live by your deeds you can choose to live and let that be what labels you and let that be what you operate under, here's something I know to be true. It's just never going to be enough. Sandra even knew that all of her best deeds, all of her best days stacked upon each other isn't enough to climb high enough to get back to God. You, you just can't get up three stories on your best day. And so the story she always told, and I, I've heard her tell this story multiple times. She told this story of when she met Grace and she talked about how she grew up Catholic, and this isn't a slight on the Catholic Church, there are lots of good Catholic folks, but no one had explained to her what grace really was all about. For her, 
you know, being a Christian was about, you know, you, you confess, you, you do your best, and then you come back, and, you know, you got to go through the priest and that kind of thing. And then one day, she went to this little Baptist church in Grand Bay, and a preacher sat down with her and explained to her the good news of God's grace. That grace is the gift of God, and that when you receive it, every dark, every bad, every awful thing that you've done in your life, every inclination, everything that you will do is entirely covered by the goodness and sacrifice and blood of Jesus. And that when you receive that grace, you are free, clean, clear, righteous, holy, and that's it. And she tells the story of how when, when the preacher was telling her about this, something in her heart just shifted and she received this grace and that when she left that day, she had gone in and she'd been in there a couple hours. And when she came out, it was early November and it was the first snowfall. And the snow had fallen just enough to cover everything. It was big, giant flakes. And she said, every time it snows, I'm reminded that that's my life. It's by grace I have been saved. The grace of God covers all my sin. The Bible says that it's, he's faithful to cover us all of our unrighteousness. It's by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, Paul wrote this, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. As for you, he says, you were dead. Ephesians 2, verse 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You were Eutychus on the ground in which you used to live. Ephesians 2, it's at the very start of the slideshow. I want, to, I want you guys to read this. You were dead. Do we have that? Can we bring it up? Awesome. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, say all of us. Let's be honest in church. Some of you, that's the first time you've been honest, the whole time you've been at church. All of us, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Sin leads to death. But, everyone say but, but, let, let this absorb in your spirit, but because of how awesome you are, how good deeds you did, your amazing track record, no, because of what? His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up like Eutychus. We're all Eutychus. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him back up all the way into the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here it is. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. Some of you have been living as though grace is something you have to earn or get back or get back to. It is not. It is a gift that you receive just from the kindness and goodness of God. Receive it. It is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. And I just felt like there were people, especially Christians actually, I think, I think there are some folks here who, Maybe this is the first day you've been back and you think it's a long road back. It's not. Grace has been following you every step. But for some of you, if you're like me, you find yourself 
you get back into that kind of mentality that, I, okay, it's about me now. I've got to be a really good person. I've got to have a really good tracker. And God calls us to holiness, and we talk a lot about that. But at the beginning and at the end of the day, it's about the fact that I am changed and saved and restored and brought alive by grace of God. It has nothing to do with me. I'm going to invite you today to come to the table. Uh, we celebrate communion. And Jesus, the Bible says on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he took wine and he painted this picture for his followers. Why did he do this? Because he knew we were going to have to keep coming back to the table and reminding ourselves, it's by grace I have been saved through faith. It's by grace I have been saved through faith. It's by grace I have been saved through faith. We have to keep taking it. And he said that night he passed some bread around and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. What's that mean? It means that Jesus already paid your penalty. So stop beating yourself up for something that he already was broken for. This is my body broken for you. Take this, eat it in remembrance of me. Remember, it's by grace you have been saved. And then he passed around a cup. He filled it and he gave it to him. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. What does that mean? It means that his blood washes over all of our sins. You are clean. You are righteous. You are called holy. You're saying, yeah, but I'm not. Yes, you are. In Jesus, you are holy. So receive it. Ingest it. Take it in freely. It's the gift of God. Some of you here, you, you, you wanted to come back to church today to start to get things right with God. Here's the amazing news. It's already been made right. You just have to receive it. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to come to the table today. The table is for people who, who know they need, to, they need grace. That's who the table's for. It's for people who know they need grace, and grace is only found in Jesus. If you're here and, and you're a believer, or maybe today you're deciding to become a believer, I'm going to invite you. There are tables at all four corners. The band's going to lead us in worship. And I just felt like the Lord through the Holy Spirit wanted to deposit a reminder in some people today that you are a son and you are a daughter, not because you did anything, but because God called you that and made you that in the blood of Jesus. And I want you to receive it fresh. And I want everybody to leave here feeling free. The Bible says that he who the son has set free is free indeed. You're all the way free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stop putting the yoke of slavery and obligation and your works on your shoulders. Go in the grace of God. So Jesus, we thank you today that it is by grace we have been saved. God, I thank you that all of us have fallen short. Uh, All of us who have fallen short of the glory of God have been picked up and made new and made righteous in Jesus' name, that your grace has covered us and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And so I pray for every person today as we come to the table. Maybe some are coming for the first time. Maybe some are coming for the thousandth time. God, I pray that your grace never runs dry. It never runs out. We can't outfall it. We can't outrun it. We can't outsin it. And I pray, God, today that we would all find ourselves caught up back up to that heavenly room, that heavenly realm. We find ourselves full and fueled and fresh today in the grace of God. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for this amazing grace in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen.